Welcome to Inside the Castle, the podcast that goes behind castle doors to have real conversations with real people about solving the nation's toughest challenges. I'm one of your hosts today, Angela Fryermuth. And I'm Aaron Schneider. Today we have three special guests joining us for a Leaders Roundtable. With us today are Ms. Stacy Brown, the Chief of Programs Integration Division, Mr. Stephen Hill, Director of Contingency Operations and Chief of Office of Homeland Security, and Mr. Eric Bush, the Interim Chief of Planning and Policy. Thank you for joining us here today. You're welcome. Glad to be here. Thank you. You're all relatively new to your current position, so today we want to take some time to get to know you. Could you tell us a little bit about yourself and your personal perspectives, um, where you grew up, and then really ultimately talk about to our staff, what are your expectations for them at all levels of the organization? And Ms. Brown, we'll start with you. Okay, great. Thanks, Aaron. So uh, I grew up in Baltimore, Maryland. I was born in Baltimore, and then uh, in my teenage years, we moved to Annapolis, Maryland. My mom actually worked for the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers. She was chief of recruitment and placement in Baltimore, and so that's how I knew about the Corps of Engineers. I always liked to read when I was little, and I wanted to be the person that decided whether books got published, and my mom explained to me that that was kind of starting at the top and probably would never happen. And I also liked uh, math and, and science, and so she really encouraged me to be an engineer. And so that's how I sort of started with the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers. I would say that, I mean, what I expect or uh, think that folks need to do is, is to just really be familiar with the tools of their trade and the guidance and the rules that correspond to, to what they need to do. You know, whether you're a planner or an engineer or a program or project manager, I mean, you really need to know what's expected of you and how we do things uh, within the Corps of Engineers not necessarily just so that you can just follow those rules, but if you're going to break the rules, I think you ought to at least know what the rules are first. And so it's helpful if, if you know the rules, then you can know, you know, where you might want to tweak the rules or where there might be ways of, of doing things differently. But, but you do have to be familiar with what the expectations are first, I think. For me, I think it's important for all of us to remember that, you know, the things that we're doing, the, the studies that we're doing or the projects that we are um, implementing are to address the water resources needs of the nation. And so I think we always have to, to keep that in mind in everything that, that we do. Thanks, Ms. Brown. Uh, Mr. Hill? Yes, thank you very much. appreciate the chance to comment. I guess, first of all, because we all are a victim of our experience or our past or where we grew up, I think that's a great way to start because it provides context, uh, perhaps, to some other comments. As the Director of Contingency Operation and being relatively new for the Corps of Engineers, um, I would have bet $100 to anyone that I would not end up in a position like this. Um, I'm a civil engineer. Uh, my dad was electrical engineer, worked with IBM for years, spent a couple years in the Air Force, but I never would have expected myself to be in this business with the Army Corps of Engineers um, in service to the nation or specifically with contingency operation. But my past does tie into that a little bit. I was born in New Mexico, a little tiny place that most folks never heard of, or maybe they've heard of, uh, Roswell. Uh, folks get to know me. They say that explains an awful lot, Steve, and now uh, we have clarity. But I didn't spend very long there. I moved uh, around the country. Uh, IBM stands for I've been moved. Um, and ultimately uh, settled in uh, New York, upstate New York, uh, which is primarily where I grew up. And when Hurricane Agnes hit, uh, my home was pretty much taken out, as well as many of my neighbors with a lot of elderly folks that didn't have the capability to take care of themselves. Um, the only people that came to help 
was the local community. There was no FEMA arm. There was no big state arm. Uh, many of those homes, when I go up there now, are still in the same condition they were. The Susquehanna River Valley uh, damage uh, in that whole area is still about the same as it was after Hurricane Agnes took out my family's uh, home and a number of other homes in the area. So in my blood, I think that's important. And I also uh, like to and have always claimed that I transcend politics. It's more about helping people in need and delivering services that match and meet the larger good than it is about achieving individual and political needs uh, that may be a little bit more biased and proprietary. And I think the business that I'm in now, the business the Corps of Engineers, the largest in, is helping people in need. Uh, we don't differentiate, are you the right this, are you the right that. When we're given the mission, uh, we go in. You know, my sister sometimes get upset with me because I served in a combat zone, and she says, you know, I feel philosophically don't like that. The fact that you support war, Steve, gives me heartburn. And I try to share with her what we all know, what many of us know. When you're put in a situation, it's how you step up and take care of the team and deliver the mission you have. And sometimes that transcends what your personal beliefs are. And it doesn't mean that you don't believe otherwise and that you want to influence it by being on the inside, uh, sometimes an effective way than being on the outside and, and, and trying to influence it. So just a couple comments on, you know, expectations. You know, I have expectations for the team that I work with and myself personally to be competent. I'm competent at what you want to do, what you're passionate to do. But equally important is demonstrating a level of competence and what the organization, the agency, and the team needs you to do. Those are not always the same. I could drill down on that for an hour discussion in itself. I'll just highlight one other, and I think it's a topic du jour lately, uh, and it always is in every organization that I've been in, is how do you work through communication in this day and age, collaboration. It's great to be doing this. Uh, through uh, WebEx and seeing everybody's face and be able to project that. Uh, we are learning new skills. We're being uh, farther reaching. We're enhancing our communication. We're enhancing collaboration. So how can we maximize these tools? Remember the fundamentals of communication, though, because in the end, we can't hide behind a lack of communication and say we don't trust our team, we don't trust our nation, we don't trust our, our agencies that we work with. There's an awful lot that you can drill down on that. So an expectation of mine is, Understand what communication is, and don't use it as a tool. Don't use it as a weapon. Use it as a capability and an opportunity to make sure that we're all better. Thanks. Great. Thanks for that. Uh, Mr. Bush? Thanks, Aaron. Thanks, Angie. I'm, I've been looking forward to this podcast, and so I uh, appreciate the opportunity to, to share some of my experience and some of my perspectives. As for my background, I grew up a military kid. My father was, was an Air Force pilot, and so uh, as a young boy, my brother and sister and I, we moved around quite a bit. I would say I grew up in, in uh, North Florida, mostly in the Florida Panhandle. Lived there for over 40 years, and so uh, I think of myself as a Floridian. Uh, and so there's a direct connection, obviously, to the, to the Corps of Engineers there. So um, I had not ever even heard of the Corps of Engineers. And so uh, I went to work. I came up on the science side of the agency, I studied biology in college, and so um, I went to work for the state of Florida. You know, that was my introduction to the to the Corps of Engineers. And, and like a lot of folks in the Corps of Engineers, I, that was through the regulatory program. We administered a joint regulatory program in Florida with uh, between the state of Florida and the Corps of Engineers. 
So that was my introduction to the Corps of Engineers. One of my subsequent jobs, by the way, was to regulate the Corps of Engineers. Uh, that's an interesting, interesting assignment, um, you know, to try to issue requirements to the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers. So I've been on the partnership side, the partner side of this relationship for about 10 years before I came to work for the, for the Corps uh, in 2001. As for, for my expectations, what I would like people to do, what I expect people to do is anticipate the problem and articulate the problem and analyze the problem. So do the analysis. You know, we're, we're, we're the engineers, right? So, so do the math, do the analysis on the problem, and then communicate that problem to whoever and the solutions, uh, the recommended solutions to whomever needs to know those, those things. Uh, you know, my personal maxims is to uh, figure out what the boss's boss needs and, and give him or her that. And so uh, you know, what, I've, what I've learned is that if I can anticipate what the boss's boss needs and I can deliver that, then that's going to make my boss's boss happy and my boss happy. And really, that's all about serving the, the nation's water resources needs if you work for the Corps of Engineers. Uh, you know, that's my expectation of, of the folks that I, that I work with. And, uh, you know, communicate both horizontally and vertically in the organization. And so, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a pretty approachable person. We just need to share information and share it quickly. Thanks. Yeah, thanks, Mr. Bush. I think that's good. And, and like you, I actually had never heard of the Corps of Engineers until I was at a job fair. And about a week later, I had a job. So I guess that might be one of the faster hiring actions ever. But it, it's really, you know, interesting how, you know, we've all been shaped by our past. And I, I think that, you know, that was a really good point that Mr. Hill brought up. And, you know, looking to your past and the past leaders that you've worked with, obviously you've probably all worked with some great leaders and maybe some not so great leaders. So now that you guys are the, the senior leaders of the organization, what would you want to say to our leaders throughout the organization and what advice do you have for them to be successful and to make the agency as successful as possible? Again, another great question. I look at uh, staff and teams that are successful. I look for folks that kind of treat their profession like the Olympics. There's a technical level of competence that gets graded. How technically proficient is what they deliver? But then again, it's also the level of difficulty of what they participate in. If you're doing cheetah flips, uh, you know, inverted, you get, you get points for that. If you demonstrate technical competency for your skill set, uh, but you're always just seeking the routine, then perhaps you cannot go ahead and achieve the highest level of performance. And then I like to blend in, what do you do outside of yourself, your job, your technical expertise? Uh, if you are doing things to help the larger entity, if you are signing up to support other efforts, if you join WebEx calls and you don't go nameless, you, you put your name in there, you put your photograph in there, you show your face, you take responsibility for your efforts, and you want to support the team, then those three components come together where you can get an A. If you do only two of those, you get a B. If you do only one of those, you get a C. So I want to see somebody that's really more rounded and focused on supporting the overall organization. I think the question was, you know, what advice would I give other leaders in, in our agency? And so, uh, you know, 
what we are engaged in is solving our nation's you know, water resources problems, and that's what we're talking about here today, uh, for sure. And so uh, one of the first steps in that is, is a, a collaborative approach. What I think about is being aggressively collaborative. Uh, it's not just, you know, the, the people who are the people or the entities who are close to us that we need to bring into brainstorming and problem solving. More importantly, it's the people who are not at the table. Uh, and, and we need to really work to bring them to the table because their equities matter too. And, uh, you know, we, we've got to consider them. We're not going to have a, a, you know, a workable solution. So one of the basic principles is to be, be very collaborative in, in how we develop solutions to, to water resources problems. Uh, a second uh, component of that to me is to really do homework. Homework and legwork. What I expect leaders and what I expect of myself, what I expect of other leaders too, is is that we're engaged in the problem solving. So this gets to this question of being too tactical, maybe, uh, but uh, on the one hand. But on the other hand, for a leader to be effective, uh, they're going to have to understand the details uh, that underlie the problem we're trying to solve. So there's this business of, of really being uh, engaged in, in comprehending the details and developing solutions based on, on, you know, experience and knowledge. And so that's another thing that I think is important in, uh, in, our, in our agency and the leaders that, that are successful in our agency. And then the third thing is, is uh, authenticity. People have, come, have got to, to be perceived as uh, believable. It's, it's one thing to have credentials, and it's one thing to even – be able to communicate effectively, but it's a, it's another thing altogether to be uh, perceived as authentic uh, because people act on that. It's uh, they may not act on on just information, even if it's good information. But authenticity, I think, is what what is a is a critical difference in effective leadership. Thank you. For me, when I think about it, it really comes down, in my view, to people and you know relationships. And a lot of the things that both Eric and, and Steve have said sort of tear off of that for me. So, I mean, I think, you know, the, the chief talked about, you know, people first. And I think that is really where it starts for me. Think back over my career, you know, any successes I've had, I feel like, have been because of the influences of other people along the way, the assistance that, you know, other people gave me when I became a supervisor you know, the folks that I supervised, they were the ones that did great things, and I tried to make sure that I took care of them. So I tried to make sure that, you know, they had the training they needed, they had the, the guidance that they needed, they had the resources they needed, and then I really tried to just stay out of their way because, you know, they were phenomenal, and they knew what they needed to do by and large, and it was just a matter of, you know, giving them what they need, sort of pointing them in the right direction, and then, you know, letting them go, um, and then just being there to support them. But I do think that if you if you take care of people, and, and like Eric said, I mean, you know, you can't, um, it needs to be genuine. I mean, you can't, you know, sort of pretend to take care of people. I mean, if you really care about your people, and if you really support them, I think back on the people, the, the various supervisors I've had, I mean, the ones that I felt like really cared about me and wanted me to succeed and did everything they could to help me succeed, I mean, I would walk over hot coals for them. 
there were others that, you know, I worked for, I didn't get that feeling. And I did my best and I worked hard, but, you know, I wouldn't necessarily have gone, you know, the extra mile. I mean, I even think back on some of the different chiefs of engineers that um, I've had the privilege of working for here in headquarters. And, you know, there there was one in particular. I mean, and you know, I had small children, and it, it was sort of at the height of, you know, the um, Afghanistan conflict and, you know, Iraq. And, you know, I used to tell people, I'm like, if he looked at me and said, Stacy, I know you've got small kids at home. You know, I know, you know, you, you never have wanted to deploy, but I need you to go to Iraq. I mean, I would have gone for him. Um, there are other people that, you know, could have said that to me and I would have been like, mm, yeah, I understand that, but no thanks. Um, so I really think it comes back to, you know, your relationship with people, how you treat people. Do you treat them with dignity and respect? And I think the way you treat them will pay off, you know, will pay dividends. I mean, I think that they will work really hard for you if you treat them well. Thank you, Mrs. Brown, and thanks all of you uh, for just being so candid with your responses and really allowing our audience to really get to know you. I think uh, everybody will enjoy hearing more about you um, and better understanding your philosophies. Uh, so shifting gears and kind of going behind the castle doors more, I'm going to talk a little bit about uh, the Civil Works Leadership Strategic Workshop that happened this past summer. In that workshop, we all talked about the strategic areas of improvement, and one of those areas was trust. And I know this morning um, we, we had an opportunity to sit down with some of of you and talk a little bit about trust, and there was some really good uh, conversation that came from that. And so, Mr. Hill, um, knowing that this is an area of improvement, what do leaders need to do at all levels to ensure trust and accountability becomes a culture within the organization? Yeah, trust is always a great question, and I think it does tie into communication. And I thought the session, you know, it was great to see the leadership uh, discuss this during the Civil Works Workshop. But it's especially comforting to see the continued discussion about this. So this morning there was actually a, another a session where we drilled down on some of this. And I think, uh, you know, the ability to uh, build trust in an organization is absolutely critical. But much like the word communication, I think sometimes it's misunderstood. One of the things that I think is important to establishing trust is maximizing the participation that you can have with your team to work through all the complicated challenges that Eric and Stacy and others routinely talk about that the Corps of Engineers faces. So how can we create, you know, venues uh, that will allow our team to merge in, especially in this uh, type of environment where more collaboration is needed, uh, so that we can let them demonstrate their competence in what they do, that we can uh, work through uh, a little bit more of the information sharing, uh, how we can demonstrate collaboration, how we can allow them to participate in the development of the, the solutions. And then, you know, we can discuss things such as does disagreement and not following the input of a staff member mean that we can't be trusted? Uh, and we've got to use case studies. We've got to use some specific scenarios that we can then take offline and say, hey, let's work through this. You know, I'm told that there's a lack of trust on this topic because you perceive your input was not followed and therefore you don't trust a certain entity, a certain agency, or a certain individual. I think it's the time 
after those initial discussions that allows us to peel back what occurred, not necessarily in an after-action review scenario, but in a face-to-face, -face, hey, let's talk about this. And it's that discussion and it's that time with the staff, with the team, with the supervisors, with the leadership that I think creates an opportunity as opportunity for us to gain more trust in each other. You know, just doing sessions like this, I think, provides a chance for me to get to know Eric, get to know Stacy, get to know you, Angela, Aaron, and build some trust on what's important to us. How do we think and how do we do business? And I think this takes time out of our important day at delivering the missions that we have, but we've got to do it. Uh, that goes high to building trust, and I think it's very important. Thank you, Mr. Hill. Mr. Bush? Yes, thanks, Angie. You know, as we discussed this morning, you know, communication is sort of the cross-cutting thing that that enables uh, Im improvements in trust. You know, so what what I think about when, when I think about trust is it's multifaceted. There's internal trust, and I think we've got to we definitely have to work on that. And then there's you know, are we trusted externally? And so that's another aspect of this as well. But but I think the thing that makes the difference for us that will make a difference for us is to make timely decisions and document and communicate those quickly. Uh, what I've observed is, is a lack of trust in some cases in all echelons. Uh, but I think the way to improve that is to be clear about who the decision maker is, communicate timely, make decisions, and document those decisions. And what that does is eliminate ambiguity. One of our biggest problems really is just latency. It takes too long or it's unclear or ambiguous about who the decision maker is or where that action is. And so uh, we, we really often do not conclude things in a timely manner, and I do believe that erodes trust. So that's an area of improvement that we discussed this morning, and uh, I'm looking forward to um, focusing on, on how we can do that better uh, through our, our planning program. Thanks. In terms of what do we need to do to make trust and accountability a culture, I mean, I think to some degree leaders need to model that behavior. You know, we need to trust others and we need to demonstrate to others that, that they can trust us. Some of that is as simple as, you know, doing what you say you're going to do when you say you're going to do it. There are external factors sometimes that impact your ability to do something when you said you were going to, but, you know, I've always believed that, you know, if I know I can't meet a, meet a suspense or if I said I was going to have something done by a certain day and I don't have it done by then, I need to go back to you and say, hey, I know I told you I'd have it by today, but I can't, and explain the reason, and, you know, and then, you know, um, at least then you'll understand, you know, what's going on. We struggle, I believe, to really hold people accountable. Um, you know, we talk a lot about holding people accountable, but I'm not really sure what that looks like. You know, I see people doing things and, you know, they think they're well-intentioned and then sometimes they don't, you know, play out the way they would like. You don't always see any kind of consequence. It's not clear to me even what that consequence would be. So, you know, we talk a lot about accountability, but I don't think we have a really um, great system for um, holding people accountable. And I, I don't know how to fix that. So, I mean, I just, I, you know, I think that we need to model trust. But, you know, if, if when I was a GS5, I don't know that it was 
really important for me to know, you know, where the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers, you know, was going as an organization. But when I became a, you know, GS-15 at headquarters, it's probably important for me to know that. So, you know, I say that to say, I mean, you know, everybody can't know everything all the time. I think sometimes in today's culture, you know, folks have some expectation that they'll know everything that's going on everywhere all the time. And I don't think that's a realistic expectation. You know, on some level, do I need to understand, you know, what the Secretary of the Army's plans are for the, you know, U.S. Army Corps of Engineers? I'm not sure. I mean, that's, you know, sort of way above my pay grade. And I think in some cases, you know, folks need to accept that, Maybe they don't know everything, but you know, you have to know enough to, to do your job, for sure. So there's there's sort of a balance there. But I do agree that there's room for improvement throughout the organization with respect to trust. I mean, I, I think that frequently folks in the field don't trust the headquarters, and, and frequently folks in the headquarters don't trust the field. Um, and that's why it's nice to have developmental assignments and bring people to headquarters so that we get that field perspective that, you know, some of us had. I mean, I worked in a district, but it was like 100 years ago. It also allows folks in the field to understand, you know, why on earth headquarters is asking that question and what are they going to do with this information and how do they use the information? So the feedback I've gotten over the years is that people that have come up from the field, for instance, when we're doing our budget prep and getting our um, senior leaders ready to testify as witnesses on the budget, now they understand, oh, my gosh, that two-page fact sheet I gave you, now I understand how it's used and why it's so important. So I think, you know, doing those types of things really helps uh, build trust throughout the organization. Great. Thank you, Ms. Brown. And I agree. Uh, you, you know, anything we can do to help tighten up communication um, and ensure that everybody is um, aware of you know, where we're heading um, at the appropriate level is always good. We talked a little bit here about internal trust and, you know, we as the Corps of Engineers can't do anything without our external partners. Um, we depend on them for, for a lot of things. And so thinking of trust um, and external partners, what do you think the Corps of Engineers needs to do in order to um, continue to earn the trust of our partners? You know, what are some of the best practices that um, are going on within the Corps to maintaining these partnerships and developing um, strong relationship capacity and trust with our partners? Well, the first thing is to uh, understand their equities. So this is this is really really important. We got to walk in their shoes, understand what their positions are, what their what their drivers are in order to understand how we may have alignment with them or agreement with them or conflict. Uh, so remember, I was on the partner side of this relationship for about 10 years before I, I came to the Corps, so I feel like I know a little bit about what that feels like. So um, what, I, what I've tried to do is really put myself in the, in the position of that other agency representative uh, to understand, you know, their position their perspective on issues about which we have mutual needs and, and may have potential conflicts. So that's the first thing is just understanding uh, their equities. The second thing is transparency. And so we are notorious or have been. And I think I want to say I've seen a lot of improvement in our agency in the last five years uh, with transparency uh, and, you know, sharing information that, that uh, historically maybe we didn't share uh, because it was a government position or close hold or whatever, but uh, we've figured out ways around barriers uh, to, trans to transparency. But that is really key 
for creating and sustaining trust with other partners is just uh, being transparent about what our requirements are and what our limitations are, what our what our barriers are. And then, of course, uh, you know, the, the other thing that I think that, that comes into play here is alignment. And so this is a something that, that I personally struggle with is uh, how we get into alignment internally and share that with uh, with our partners. Uh, but that is that is the, maybe the most important aspect of this because we can understand our partners and and, and even and stakeholders and, and those you know with whom we we have common interests or maybe even conflicting interests. We can understand them. We can be transparent. But if we're not aligned uh, internally about our response to that, then you know, we're, we're going to disappoint them, and, and I'll say disappoint them in the wrong way. So, you know, what I what I look for is making sure we've got a aligned, consolidated position on any issue that's that's important to our partners. Thank you for that, Mr. Bush. And having been an outreach specialist at a district level, you know, I agree with you. Having that consistent messaging all the way up the vertical uh, chain of command is so important um, and helps the external partners better understand, you know, what we are um, doing and what we are expecting of them. So thank you for that comment. Uh, Ms. Brown, do you have anything to add? Yeah, I mean, I think a lot, I think in some ways, you know, I mean, certainly COVID has, has really been uh, difficult for the nation as a whole. I always try to see some good um, in every situation. And I would say that what I think it is sort of helping us with as an agency is, is doing more outreach. We've had a lot of listening sessions this year in particular um, with various groups, targeted groups. And I think that Anytime you can spend time with folks and, and hear their concerns um, and really, really listen to their concerns and try to understand them and share information with them, I think that goes a long way to helping in terms of building that trust with external folks. I mean, you know, I always try to make time to, um, to meet with non-federal interests, whether it's in person or, or you know, via video calls or, or conference calls. Because, you know, I think it's important for me to understand, you know, what, what's important to them. Because, as I said at the beginning, I mean, you know, we are here to serve the taxpayers of the nation. And so we need, we need to do that. Now, you know, we can't – to me, there's, there's a continuum of, of uh, transparency. Um, I think historically we've been more like um, aluminum foil. <laughs> you know, I think – to some degree, we can um, be saran wrap, but, you know, of course, I work on the budget, and so there I think we're more wax paper because, you know, I can't share all the details, but I can share, you know, as much of the information as I can. And, you know, I try to try to do that with people, try to give them ways that, that they can uh, position themselves to make sure they're effectively communicating in, in a way that will resonate with the administration about uh, their concerns. So, again, it goes back to, you know, those relationships and partnerships and, and communication and then uh, working collaboratively to try to address uh, the, the challenges. Thank you, Ms. Brown. I 100% agree with that. Mr. Hill, do you have any comments to add? Um, the question of trust, which we talked about earlier, uh, you know, is excellent. Um, this is more focused, this question on external trust, and I'm going to tie the two together. I think external trust begins with internal trust. Um, I don't want to sound philosophical because I'm not. 
Um, I'm a field person. Uh, get out there, tell me like it is, and, and peel it back. But I, I was I was taught by a couple folks that you've got to love yourself before you can love others. And I reflect on that an awful lot now when I see folks that, that don't love themselves, which is unfortunate. And life is tough, especially in environments like what we're in right now. So I think tie that back to communication and trust, external trust begins with internal trust. I went through with an organization where um, I thought I could beat the stock of my team and myself perhaps personally by talking bad about the headquarters and the other teams, and in some cases, the internal capabilities on the team. Um, we talked bad about it. We said we weren't very good. Uh, we didn't trust the other party. And so that created a lack of confidence in others around us. And what I've seen, and again, this is not a negative characterization against anybody, but what I have seen when I was in the district, when I didn't get my way working in uh, regulatory planning and programs, um, I sometimes told our partners that they couldn't get what they want because the headquarters didn't understand, didn't get it. And then ultimately when it got back to the headquarters and the headquarters engaged the partner of the stakeholders, they didn't trust the good comments that were made by the higher level. So I, I really think this is a double-edged sword when we don't, amongst the team, have confidence in our ability to do the right thing. So we've, we've got to somehow figure out how we can all communicate with the external folks to gain partners. Just drill down on a couple things. I think trust is built by accessibility, and I, too, am coming from industry. Just spent 10 years with industry, but because I had a core of engineer background, I was the punching bag, so to speak, in a positive way for every employee that said, what is, up, what is up with your old organization? What's up with the core? And for 10 years, I've, I've been able to dialogue back and forth on this in, in comment. And I, I didn't maybe do that successfully, but I think a couple of the takeaways in building trust with our external partners, one is accessibility. The core sometimes is seen as inaccessible. inaccessible. You'd have a Skype call, and or you'd have a WebEx call, and the industry folks had their name up there and had a picture, and the Corps of Engineer team had UOC or, you know, MSC. And it, it just it makes it a black hole. You know, Mr. Lee starts with showing the pictures and the team that he has because he's proud of them, and he demystifies who are these people. We're people. We're good. We make mistakes. So I think there's got to be accessibility. I listen to Mr. James in the CW team talking about clarity, Clarity in your writing, clarity in your communication. When we write documents, if you want to build trust, we've got to be clear. And I've tested this. I've taken a couple documents that we've written, I've participated in, I've handed it to somebody, I've said, read it, take your time, there's going to be a test. They've set it down, and I've said, what did it say? Give me the three points. And they couldn't give me the three points. And it's not because they're not focused and they're not smart. It's because the document is written, in some cases rightfully so, because we don't want people to understand it. But we've got to work on clarity. We've got to be less bureaucratic. What does that mean? We can define it. But if we want our partners to trust us, we need to understand what bureaucratic was, what it is. And, indeed, we want to be bureaucratic sometimes. We get that opportunity. We have that benefit. But don't use it as a weapon. Understand what it means. And that's, that's number three of what industry uh, tells me. And then the last one, which really cuts and hurts, but there's nothing better than good feedback for self-reflection, 
is, Steve, why is the core so arrogant? And a lot of people have asked me since I've come back in, why do they say that? What does it mean? I won't drill down here, and I don't mean it in a negative way, because a lot of what industry talks about from arrogance is so easily solved, and it's just understanding. I'll give just one example. In reading one a letter that was written that's going out to a constituent, I read it, and it's enormously arrogant. Um, and I brought it back to the team, and I said, read this. And they said, no, that's, that's boilerplate. We use that all the time. But after we talked about it, there was a couple folks that smiled and said, wow, I, I got it. If I was treated that way with my neighbor or my friends, I'd pop them. So, you know, how do we go ahead and, and do that? And, you know, I think it's like in my house. Um, you know, I don't make decisions alone. Last point. I, you know, I don't make decisions alone. As some in my household would say I don't make any decisions. But you can build trust by doing what Eric said. Make sure we know what the authorities are and who's going to be the decision maker and everything else. But ultimately, just because I made a decision and I'm the decision maker and you don't like it doesn't mean you can't trust me. And somehow we've got to get to that if we're going to be better with our partners in trust. Yeah, thanks for that. I, I think that that's fantastic. And really hearing all of you talk today about taking care of people, the trust, the empathy, it, it really brings me to a question for you about the civil unrest and the challenges that our staff is facing, um, both with, with COVID and then anything else that we have going on. Um, it's been a challenging year, and there's a lot of demands on our staff. Um, you know, we've had a lot of hurricanes this year, the Corps responded to emergencies. It seems like staff is always asked to do more with the same or maybe sometimes less. And, you know, if you could talk to our staff today, you know, what would you tell them to the, to our staff that are, are really suffering and maybe feeling this burden um, to help give them inspiration uh, to looking towards the future? So, Ms. Brown, I'll, I'll start with you. I mean, the first thing I would say is you're absolutely right, Aaron. I'm enormous, enormously proud of our staff. And I feel especially for those folks that, you know, have small children that are at home with them while they're trying to work. I mean, that's, that's a huge challenge. I do think that what I, what I would like to see in the future, and I, I'm hopeful that we will get there, is that we will hopefully, you know, get the schools back open, but that we will still give our staff a lot of the flexibility that we have offered them during this this time of, of COVID, the max telework. So, you know, I'm hopeful that as we move towards the vaccine and, and we get to a point where things are more open and people are, are able to move around more, I'm really hoping that, you know, we don't try to cram everybody back into their hamster cage and we all go back to getting up at, you know, O-Dark 30 and, and driving a long ways to get to work, to sit in a cubicle, to do things that, you know, we don't really need to be in a cubicle to do, that we could do from home using the technology we have. What I would say to folks is I know it's tough now. You've done a great job up to now. I'm hoping that we're turning the corner and that relief is on the horizon. And I do hope that the reward out of all of this will, will be that you have greater flexibility in the future than you've had in the past. We are approaching the end of our time together today. Um, and so, Mr. Bush or, or Mr. Hill, if you have any thoughts on civil unrest, feel free to share that in your final remarks. And so I'm going to open it up to just final thoughts as we close out the session today. And we would like you to just comment briefly on the, the revolutionized civil works effort, too, in your final final thoughts and, you know, what 
what are some areas that the core really needs to focus on as we're revolutionizing the way we're doing business? Okay, thanks, Angie. Uh, thanks, Aaron. And I just want to thank you for this opportunity. So just to, to build on what Stacy was saying, what I would want to say to people in the face of civil unrest and, and a pandemic is that uh, you are incredibly resilient. Uh, we've managed, in my opinion, to increase our relevancy, notwithstanding what's happened this year uh, out in the streets and in the, in the hospitals. So just a little context, I experienced civil unrest personally right here in downtown Atlanta. Every window in the buildings across the street from where I live was broken out. We had cars on fire in the streets right outside my home. And so that was upsetting. But what's really, what I really did was stop to reflect on what the root causes of that are, because that's really about racism and racial inequity in America, I, I think. You know, racism is an original sin and we've yet to overcome. We had that conversation. You know, if you remember, the Secretary of the Army, you know, sent us a letter back in June that said, have, hey, have difficult conversations. And so we had that conversation with, with you know, our team here uh, in Atlanta about what the root causes of, of the civil unrest were. And so uh, what that did was it, it brought us closer together as a group, uh, which I really valued. Uh, and then um, so the result of that is we understand each other better and, and, uh, and, and I think are, are an even more cohesive team. Uh, but the other thing that uh, I want to say about that, and I mentioned this earlier, is, is that we all also understand better how close we are in the margins here. You know, this, this year pushed us further into the margin, and so that means we have to take care of each other and more than we have maybe previously. So that's a really good thing that's happened, you know, in my perspective this year is that we're more caring uh, for each other uh, as a result of both of those, you know, unprecedented stressors. Now, switching gears to the revolution, I like to think of myself as a revolutionary guy, but I also want to say I think planning, talking about my lane, is already post-revolutionary. You know, we're sort of, you know, already through some of the some of the growing pains associated with revolutionizing uh, how we deliver our civil works program. But that said, what I look for and what I ask people for is give me the revolutionary response to every problem you're trying to solve. Because now, to me, it's about the little things. It's the little things that are that are getting in the way of efficiency, getting in the way of timely responsiveness, getting in the way of transparency. How can we? Uh, revolutionize those little things. And so that's what we're working on. And so uh, I just wanted to share that, and I appreciate the opportunity to, to share my thoughts with you all today. Thanks. I'll jump in only because I want to save the best for last. And, uh, you know, no reflection, Eric. Two questions. I'm, I guess the first part I comment on, to put them in reverse order so I can do a wrap-up, the revolutionized civil works, the revolutionized the core is a, is a hot topic. And I concur with kind of what Eric uh, was leaning towards a little bit. Revolutionized doesn't mean radical. It doesn't mean change everything. It means look around you, see the environment that we're in, and find changes that make sense that you can do. It's almost a lean six sigma, old verbiage, old language. It's just a relook of are we doing something that really is important and is critical, are we doing something because we've always done it or because it's my personal passion? And I think this environment, 
that we're going through right now is unlike any time to create an opportunity where we can change things and nobody will swat us down. Nobody will look down on us. They'll cheer us on and they'll champion us. Changes in environment, major changes like we're experienced, become forcing functions so we can all be proud of turning the corner. Uh, Raymond Kurzweil is a theorist. He talks about the theory of singularity. As everything goes, it will ultimately be vertical. We want to hold on, but we want to be part of that. We want to make some changes, uh, not bad changes, what good changes. And I think that's part of where we're at and the opportunity that ties us in. I'm going to jump to the civil rest piece and roll it in just a couple quick comments to wrap up. You know, we are in the middle of uh, an awful lot of things that are disturbing to people on multiple levels, not just civil unrest, challenges that face the nation. It's exciting. I pinch myself every day. It shows our value. It provides an opportunity for us to demonstrate our value by doing what we've done for over 200 years. What we do is provide services and capabilities to people, again, as I said in an earlier question, regardless of where they're from, what they look like, what's important to them. The nation makes some decisions about services that we're going to provide, and every day, this is why we're so passionate, and this is why it's so hard for us to do more with less, because we take every one of those responsibilities as seriously as the next. But I think what we really need to do is look at the bigger picture and pinch ourselves in a positive way and say, wow, we really do get a chance to influence the direction the nation's going to address some of the injustice, some of the wrongs, some of the services that need to be provided, because we don't differentiate that. Our vote counts more and more than many, many folks in many other industries. So it's not a matter of do more with less. It's a matter of communicate and build trust so you can set priorities to do the most important and delegate more down to the teams that can do the rest of the stuff without the constant back and forths that take so much time and prevent us from doing our top five items because we're always drilling down on those bottom 10 or 15 items. And I think that's the context with which we've got to look. So at a high level with um, our underwriting principle being national, national service, service to the nation, caring for people, not just our team, but the people, it really becomes – uh, you know, a, a, an ability to sleep at night because we know we're contributing for the bigger good. Um, we know that what we do is going to impact change and help change the way the nation delivers some of these services so we can sleep well. The Corps of Engineers stock is high right now. It's as high as it's been in the 30-plus years that I participated with. We should feel proud of that. We should all be able to sleep at night. We should not do more with less. We should do... Uh, what's important, and we should differentiate the two, and we should make sure we use the whole team, the entire team, 30-plus 30, 30 thousand, and our partners in a uh, best practices way, and we'll all sleep well at night, know that what we do really does matter. I believe that. That's why I've come back. It's exciting to be rejoining the team. Thank you. And I, I would just add that, um, you know, I think certainly as, as the prior chief of planning and policy, I mean, I, I agree with Eric. I mean, I think when it comes to revolutionizing, I mean, I think a lot of the air has been taken out of the schedule, the planning portion of the schedule. There are little bubbles here and there, and you might get a little more out of it. But I, I think, you know, we've pretty much tackled that part of it. I think the revolutionized team is, is doing a great job of looking at the rest of the project delivery process 
you know, I think we're really fortunate to have uh, a set of folks that can be solely focused on that, because as much as I care about that, you know, that's one, just like Steve and Eric, that's just one of the many rocks that, you know, I've got to carry. So it's nice to have a team that can be singularly focused on it. You know, I think where I'd like to go, and I'm sure the team feels this way too, and certainly the feedback I get from folks in the field, you know, we've, we've concentrated largely on things that are below the line, things that headquarters can do or, you know, folks below us can do. We need to go after some of the things that are above the line. I mean, we've got to go after some of the things that the secretary has, that OMB um, has hiring the administration and the Congress, because otherwise we won't realize our full potential. You know, I'm committed to doing that in the programs world um, and, and working very closely uh, with Aaron on you know, some of the alternative financing pieces, some of the other budgeting pieces, and looking at everything, you know, reprogramming, funding, all of that stuff, because, you know, that's what I hear from the field repeatedly that they want us to tackle and that will help them deliver the project for the nation. And, you know, just as Steve said, I mean, I, I have worked for the Corps of Engineers. For those of your listeners that might like to do math, I started when I was two. I've worked for the Corps of Engineers for 34 years now. And, um, I mean, I have never been prouder to be part of the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers than I have been this past year Everything from the alternate care facilities that we helped um, the various communities with, you know, our response to all the various natural disasters um, and all of that. I mean, you know, I just think that the Corps, I think, is a great organization because it does do that. It cares about other people. You know, we're a technical organization. We're not political at all. You know, we make decisions on the basis of, of science and, and technical merit. And I think that, you know, that's how decisions ought to be made. And I, I do think that, by and large, the leaders in the Corps of Engineers do care about their people that work for them. And I think that, certainly as a nation, we need to, to care about each other, and we need to take care of each other. And we need to not, you know, worry so much about whether you look like I do or whether you, you know, agree with me about, you know, who should be, you know, head of, of what agency or organization. And we just need to remember that, you know, we're all people, we're all human, and we really need to take care of one another because we're all citizens and, and we live in a great nation and, and we ought to just, you know, treat each other as, as fellow teammates, whether you're part of the core team or whether, you know, you're just part of the USA team. You know, this has been really great. Um, I've enjoyed it and I look forward to um, helping the revolutionized team move the needle forward on, on some of those challenges that we still face. So thank you. Well, thank you. Thank you, Ms. Brown, Mr. Hill, and Mr. Bush for joining us today for this edition of Inside the Castle. We appreciate you and your insights. To our listeners, we want to hear from you, what topics are important to you, and people you're interested in hearing from. Until next time, be safe, be innovative, and be revolutionary. Thanks for joining us for this Inside the Castle podcast. To provide your feedback, email us at cw.infrastructure.team at usace.army.mil. Stay tuned for additional Inside the Castle podcasts as we explore life inside the core and revolutionize civil works together.